Good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 205 of the Prancing Pony podcast, where counsel we could give and words we would speak to you. Unfortunately, our words are for all ears, Mm. and you don't need to leave your hall to hear them. Folks, go ahead and pull up a bench in the common room. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who has only sometimes been a herald of woe, Alan Sisto. (laughs) Must I criticize the courtesy of your hall yet again, Sean? (laughs) You wouldn't be the first. (laughs) Well, folks, today we're going to be talking about the second part of The King of the Golden Hall, and that's Chapter 6 in Book 3 of The Lord of the Rings. This is when Theoden breathed the free air again. So he moves out of Los Angeles? Apparently so. What happens? Yeah. Nice. No smog alert in Rohan. Nope, not not at all. Well, now, for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. Here at the Prancing Pony Podcast, we are working our way through J.R.R. Tolkien's Legendarium a few pages at a time. We study the details, we make connections to other writings, talk about our favorite themes, and have a lot of fun along the way. So we're really glad you've joined us. And we hope you'll be glad you joined as well. Indeed. But before we get back to one of our favorite chapters in all of Book 3, it's time for me to hand it over to Time Traveling Alan. Well, today we're bringing you another new installment of The North Wing. Barlam and Butterbur had a room or two in the North Wing at the Prancing Pony Inn, made special for hobbits. Well, this is our place made special for some of our listeners to give us a chance to get to know them. That's right. Now, rooms at the North Wing are a little hard to come by these days, so only our patrons at the Bombadil's Bequest and Kirdan's Contribution tiers are eligible. So if you'd like to be one of the next patrons to join us, be sure to check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Absolutely. Please do join us. Well, we've got a waiting list for the North Wing right now, but we'll get to all of them soon, Mm -hmm. and we'll make room for more if necessary. That we will. And with that said, folks, why don't we go ahead and welcome tonight's guest to the North Wing, Jerry Michaels. Hi, guys. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Welcome. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to this. Well, we are too. So are we. We're glad to have you. Always so much fun. It is. Totally is. And I'm going to jump right in with our first question. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? What do you do? What do your loved ones think of all this Tolkien stuff you're so into? That kind of thing. Okay. I live in uh, Amarillo, Texas. And uh, yeah, I worked in uh, entomology. I was a research entomologist with Texas A&M for 33 years. Wow. 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 uh, Oh, it was a wonderful place to work. And uh, I had a hundred percent research position. So Mm. I didn't do classroom teaching, but I had graduate students around to irritate me almost all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a lot of fun because it was, it was pretty much unlimited as to what I could do. And that's great. I worked there 33 years and it was kind of time to pass on the fun to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I retired in 2014 and kind of just been enjoying retirement since then. Oh, great. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I uh, came to Amarillo in 1981. I was went to University of Wyoming for college and grew up in Missouri outside of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about your family, friends, uh, any other Tolkien fans in your circle? I'm married to my wife, Judy, and I have one son named Kyle, mm-hmm. daughter-in-law, Lainey, and a granddaughter named Gabrielle. Aw. None of them are interested in Tolkien, strange to say. I've been trying to get <laughs> hooked for years, but it just isn't coming around yet. And she uh-huh. may be a little bit young. I didn't really Fair. get into it until I was a junior in high school. So I get that. Maybe it'll come around. They don't like or dislike my obsession with Tolkien. They just put up with it and yep. let me go read in the corner. So Sometimes that's the best we can hope for, right? Just your weird little quirk. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Exactly. we know nothing yeah, about that. Yeah, just my little, yeah. And yeah. my wife's very understanding when I get a new book and she goes, she's very 
uh, glad I found a new book to read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to hear a little bit about how you got into Tolkien shortly, because that's the question I'm going to ask now. Sure. The question that we ask everybody who comes to the Prancing Pony, when and how did you first discover Tolkien's works? What was your experience like? And why do you keep coming back? It was kind of an interesting deal. Um, I was a junior in high school in St. Louis, and mm -hmm. I noticed that a classmate of mine had this book. It was the uh, Fellowship of the Ring, the Ballantine okay. edition. And yep. for some reason, just seeing it, him carrying it around, I was fascinated with the cover artwork. And it just, it, it gave me an, almost a, an odd feeling when I'd see that. I'd really wanted to find out what that book was about. And he loaned it to me and I started reading it. And then I went out and bought all three volumes. And yeah. really, it's kind of been a constant thing since then. I've, of course, read the books as I got further into it and more books came out, picked them up as they came along and kept reading them. I've been a member of the Tolkien Society for about oh, five years, I guess, something along that line. And uh, it's a great thing for retirement, too. It's just it's fun now because I can get into like Hammond and Skull and listen to you guys podcast. I have the time to do that and uh, really kind of amp up my knowledge about Tolkien. Good. That's fantastic. Well, what's your favorite book in the Legendarium and why? And also, if you can tell us if you have one, what's your favorite non-Legendarium work by Tolkien? Sure. My favorite legendarium work would be The Lord of the Rings. That's what got me going, and I keep going back to it. Yeah. I love the other books, especially The Silmarillion, but I kind of use those you know, to increase my knowledge about The Lord of the Rings. Outside the legendarium, I've been recently reading a lot of the non-Lord of the Rings, uh, our legendarium works like uh, The Death of Arthur. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fall of Arthur, yeah. I, I really like that. I've never have really gotten deep enough into Tolkien's poetry. Mm. And strangely enough, uh, the death of Arthur kind of started me down that road. So I'm getting interested in what Christopher has written after, you know, the poem itself. So that's been yeah. kind of fun. Another one would be uh, Farmer Giles of Ham. I've always liked that story. That's a great one. That is a fun one. Well, have you ever, well, uh, part of this, has already been answered. You've not given a child a name inspired by Tolkien, but have you ever given a pet a name inspired by Tolkien or maybe a car? Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't. I've thought about it before, but uh, no, I that would be probably pushing it into my family a little bit too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I concede that. I mean, I managed to pull it off, but, you know, only oh, barely. That's good. What do, do you have a... Our daughter's named Eleanor. Oh, well, yeah, Eleanor's a good name. They're, actually, Eleanor's a name in my family, so it would have been acceptable. Exactly. It's just that slightly different spelling. You can kind of sneak that one by people. Yeah. Yeah. You can't slip Faramir by. You know, no, you <laughs> I don't think uh, my son would like being called Aragorn, though. No. Just, well, yeah. Let alone Aragorn, Elisar, the Elfstone, the Dunedain, you know, yeah. all the names that Aragorn has. Now, when he was a teenager, I thought of calling him Gollum a number of times. <laughs> you called him Gollum when he was a teenager. I love that. That's fair. That's fair. That, that's probably quite fair. Yeah. Even the best teenagers are probably Smeagles. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That'd be even better. <laughs> I just managed to get my family to agree to name a cat Frodo. So. Oh, okay. Go. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they wouldn't go for Tavildo, but Frodo worked. <laughs> Especially if they knew the story, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Well, since you haven't, maybe someday you will. What kind of animal would you name and what would its name be? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm more of a dog fan than I'm a cat fan. Yeah, yeah. I probably it'd probably be a cat, and it'd probably be uh, oh Galadriel, something like that. Okay, or, that's fair. That's fair. That's a All that's right. a fitting name for a cat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All right, Jerry. Well, it's time to move on to our lightning round. Now, these are going to yeah. be quick questions, and sure. we want you to try for quick answers, although <laughs> we certainly have trouble We all digress, so sometimes. that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So, first one here. What's the one place in Middle-earth you wish you could visit? Hmm. Uh, Lorien. All right. I just... I like that area. I've I've also thought of Darwinian as a place Ooh. I could go and be a cask maker for yeah. the month. Yeah. That, that sounds like a nice cool. place to go in retirement too, just sort of chill. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like the Napa Valley of Middle Earth. Yeah. It's like wine country. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Without the crazy wildfires, you know. Exactly. Right. So who's your favorite character in the Lord of the Rings? Uh in Lord of the Rings, my favorite character is Mary. Oh, I love Mary. Oh, cool. We're going to be spending a lot of time with them real soon here now, too. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Well, do you have a favorite Tolkien artist or a favorite work of Tolkien art? Well, I have to go back to the Remington mural. That was probably the thing that got me captured. But uh, uh, Brothers Hildebrandt. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've always enjoyed their their artwork. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was still getting a Tolkien calendar every year. That's what I would get. Yeah, yeah. It, there's their their imagery brought it to life pretty much. And I know that yeah. Dorothy Remington's really doesn't bring the story to life. You know, and it's quite abstract and uh, has taken and, some yeah. criticism. But it's just where I got going, so I still enjoy it. Sure. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Yeah, we had Greg Hildebrandt on the show. Uh, what about yeah, a year ago, Alan? Year and a half. I ago? think it was last season. Yeah, I heard yeah. the podcast. He oh, he had some amazing stories. Man, he what a is guy. a storyteller, isn't he? Wow, yeah. so much fun. Well, here's something that's not fun: walking into Mordor. One honestly doesn't simply do it. But if you did, who would you rather have at your side, Baron or Hurin? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. I think Baron. Okay. All right. All right, Jerry. Well, do you have a favorite author or book other than Tolkien? I used to read, and I still do, actually, is Andre Norton, a science fiction writer. She wrote uh, Star Guard 2250 A.D., Okay. Most of her stuff was in the fifties and yeah. sixties. Uh, okay, classic oh. golden age. But I've been I've been looking for her used paperbacks in bookstores and finding them. Okay. One of my big hobbies is just history in general, mm. and I do a lot of reading of just regular history. Cool. Good. That's probably one of the reasons why I keep digging more and more deeply into the books that are written about the Lord of the Rings. Right. That, right. Uh, there's you know the history just keeps unfolding. And every it time really I have a book, there's something I've missed. And uh, <laughs> I love reading it again. Uh, we discover the exact same thing every time. I have read, uh, I think it's, is it in Lost Tales where they have uh, the agreement made between Gondor and Rohan, where they go to Sildur's grave? Uh, it's an oh, unfinished that's tales. in uh, Unfinished Tales. Yeah. yeah. Unfinished Tales. I, th for some reason, I had bypassed that for years. Mm. And when I first ran onto that, I was just like, wow, this is yeah. so cool. Isn't yeah. it? That's an oh, amazing yeah. I just, story. I mean, it just sends chills down my spine. It was so it does. neat. The detail that he put into it all is just yes. phenomenal. And that climb to the peak and, and yeah. that very quiet moment there between Kirion and Aoral was just, mm -hmm. oh, it's breathtaking. And I didn't yeah. know, yeah, I had no idea it was going to happen no. until you saw the runes. Uh, yeah, right. You know, they were done in a larger type. You could see them on the page coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was pretty amazing. Well, those are some great answers. Thank you so much, Jerry. We have really enjoyed having you here in the North Wing. For now, it's time for us to head back to the common room to join the rest of the listeners. Okay. Like you guys, thanks for having me too. I really appreciate what you guys do. Our absolute pleasure, Jerry. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for that, Jerry. And we hope to see you back at our next questions after nightfall. Yeah. If not sooner. Yeah, I need to get into that. We yeah. would love to have you. Please do. Absolutely. 
Well, you guys take care. You too. Thanks for joining us. And now we return you to the podcast in progress. And that's always so much fun, isn't it? But you know what's not as fun? Trying to figure out what passages we're not going to read in a chapter that's as good as this one is. (laughs) So let's get back into it and see what difficult choices we've had to make this week. Alan, you want to start us off? Sounds like a plan. Now the four companions went forward, past the clear wood fire burning upon the long hearth in the midst of the hall. Then they halted. At the far end of the house, beyond the hearth and facing north towards the doors, was a dais with three steps, and in the middle of the dais was a great gilded chair. Upon it sat a man so bent with age that he seemed almost a dwarf. But his white hair was long and thick, and fell in great braids from beneath a thin golden circlet set upon his brow. In the center, upon his forehead, shone a single white diamond. His beard was laid like snow upon his knees, but his eyes still burned with a bright light, glinting as he gazed at the strangers. Behind his chair stood a woman clad in white. At his feet, upon the steps, sat a wizened figure of a man with a pale, wise face and heavy-lidded eyes. There was a silence. The old man did not move in his chair. At length, Gandalf spoke. Hail, Theoden, son of Thengel, I have returned. For behold, the storm comes, and now all friends should gather together, lest each singly be destroyed. Slowly, the old man rose to his feet, leaning heavily upon a short black staff with a handle of white bone. And now the strangers saw that, bent though he was, he was still tall, and must in youth have been high and proud indeed. I greet you, he said. And maybe you look for welcome, but truth to tell your welcome is doubtful here, Master Gandalf. You have ever been a herald of woe. Troubles follow you like crows, and ever the oftener the worse. And that'll do for now. All right. So, we picked up at the point where the four companions were just walking into Medusel's, and mm-hmm. beginning of your reading, they're just kind of proceeding further into the hall. And it, I, I tell you, it's something right out of Beowulf, right? I it, mean, is, it is, isn't it? It's just like... The Mead Hall, Hera, you know, you've got this long hearth, you've got the mm-hmm. wood fire halfway through. Indeed, and that's where they stop. They stop just past the halfway point. And in fact, if you look carefully, you'll see they don't go any further through the entire scene, which I think is really interesting. Oh, that's a good catch. They're they're kind of keeping their distance they right now. They very much yeah. are. We'll see one of them starts to go forward, right. and that's it. Yep. But then they, they don't, and nothing more, they don't go any further forward in, and we'll see what happens at that point. But... So let's take a look. We've got the dais at the end. Now, that's just a raised platform. And then there's the gilded chair, which is essentially his throne. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And the man on the throne, who we'll soon learn is Theoden, is bent with age. Now, the tale of years tells us that Theoden was born in the year 2948. So he's about 70 or 71 at this point. Well, and in Unfinished Tales, in the Battles of the Fords of Ice, and a text that we're going to turn to more than once in this episode and in the coming, coming episodes. Yeah. We learned that Theoden's health began to deteriorate in 3014, that was about five years ago, at the age of 66, and we learn a possible cause. His malady may thus have been due to natural causes, though the Rohirrim commonly lived till near or beyond their 80th year, but it may well have been induced or increased by subtle poisons administered by Grima. Oh, that's right. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, may. You know, we're not, we're not told that for sure, but... 
the fact that he puts it out there as a possibility yeah. <laughs> suggests it's another that one of those some say. Yeah, that is definitely one of those some says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about Theoden's appearance. Yeah. He's got this long, thick white hair. Seriously, that looks. That's got to look really cool. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a manly man, right? You know, yeah. he's got the long hair. It's thick. Beard down to his knees. Oh, love it. And then he's got this thin golden circlet with one diamond. That's his, that's his mm-hmm. crown. Yeah. Yeah. Beard down to his knees, like you said, but also he's got these bright eyes, yeah. which tells you that, you know, he may look old, but he's still, he's still all there. He is. He is mentally very vigorous. That's one of the few, one of the few, one of the few very large differences between the film version and the book version here. We'll, we'll touch on those. Yeah. You know, the film Theoden was very much didn't have bright eyes. He was possessed. He uh, was basically by possessed by Saruman, you know. Right. Which, and we'll get to that. We'll get to some of the yeah. big distinctions there. But, but you're right. I yeah. mean, he didn't have, that was exactly what I remember him not having. He had those yeah. cloudy eyes. Exactly. I mean, bad cataracts, it looked like. Yeah. Quite, quite bad cataracts. And behind Theoden is this woman wearing white. I think you know who that is. I wonder who that is. I, I guess we'll find out soon. I wonder. Well, in early versions, it might have been uh, Theoden's daughter, whose name escapes me. Eventually, he decided Theoden didn't have one, so right. we know who it is. I keep thinking that once this guy stands up, he's going to look a lot like a member of ZZ Top. With the beard? Yeah, the long beard. With the long the beard long down hair. to his knees. I don't know about the sunglasses, dun, 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 dun. No, that's true. Maybe once he gets outside to breathe the free air. Maybe so. I mean, he's definitely a sharp-dressed man. He definitely, he definitely is. <laughs> he definitely is. So moving on past the charming woman in white, we do get this wizened man, this shriveled man, right? That's what that means, with mm-hmm. pale skin and heavy eyes. Yeah, and you just hinted at it, but I just want to point out, because honestly, I got tripped up on this the first few times I read the book. Oh, yeah, me too. I was a teenager. The word wizened is not related to wise or wizard. I think a lot of people right. assume it is. I would have thought that the first few times too, yeah. Well, yeah, and because it, it often, you often see it in reference to older people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's actually not related to those words at all. It comes from an old English word, wisnion, which means wither, dry up, or waste away. So it is yeah. truly shriveled, dried up, just kind of looking. <laughs> Worm tongue the raisin, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so... Getting back to the scene here, no one is moving or speaking. Oh, this is tense, isn't it? It's it's very tense. And then, of course, Gandalf, ever the diplomat, breaks the silence. <laughs> and ever fearless, too. Yeah. Ever fearless. And warns of the oncoming storm, you know? Yeah. And he has this great moment where he talks about, uh, you know, we all need to gather together. That's right. right. Or else we're going to be destroyed one by one. There's a great fellowship moment there. We stand together or we fall apart. Yeah. Right. And then Theoden stands. And, and again, he is very much... Well, he's not quite ZZ Top, actually. He's leaning no. on a staff. Well, that's true. Not leaning on a guitar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's not spinning. Once he gets his sword, he's not going to spin the sword around like the <laughs> no. guitars in that one Wouldn't video. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Would it? Would it, though? <laughs> no, you're right. Actually, that wouldn't be. That would be terrible. I apologize for that image in your mind, No, that's people. all right. That's all right. Forgive I think me. I, yeah, no. <laughs> no, I mean, he's leaning on this short black staff. Yeah. And... We're actually told by the narrator that, like, as tall as he is, he must have been really tall in his youth yeah. because he's he's leaning over and obviously he's still just a towering man, a towering right. figure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he replies. So he stands up to reply. He doesn't have to. And you know, he's yeah. kind of struggling to his feet to do it. But he stands up and replies, you're a herald of woe. Troubles always follow you. In fact, I was really happy when I heard that Shadowfax came back. And I know we didn't read that part, but Theoden was really digging on him. He says, 
I was actually happier that he came back alone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't really. bring you back with him because. Right. Yeah. And, and you always bring bad news. So why in the world should I welcome you? Yeah. Calls him Stormcrow. Yeah. Yeah. Not Jail Crow, but no. Stormcrow. <laughs> no, not Jail Crow. No. And obviously this is a reference to the idea that crows are traditionally harbingers are bad news, right? Gandalf is like right. this crow who comes along. And every time he comes along, that means there's a storm coming. And that's exactly what's happening here. Literally, there is a storm, actually. We'll see. Yeah. And yet it's kind of a blame the messenger thing because, oh, well, yeah. as we'll see, just because you happen to come before a storm doesn't mean that you're bringing the storm. Right. Correlation is not causation. And Gandalf right. tries to make that point. Yeah. Right. But that's going to happen after Wormtongue says his piece, which is where you come in. Oh, yes. All right. Get to do some Wormtongue dialogue here. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to pick up at the very beginning of his no his piece, but about a sentence in. Mm-hmm. It is not yet five days since the bitter tidings came that Theodred, your son, was slain upon the West Marches, your right hand, second marshal of the Mark. In Aemir there is little trust. Few men would be left to guard your walls if he had been allowed to rule. And even now we learn from Gondor that the Dark Lord is stirring in the east. Such is the hour in which this wanderer chooses to return. Why indeed should we welcome you, Master Stormcrow? Lothspell, I name you, ill news. And ill news is an ill guest, they say. <laughs> he laughed grimly as he lifted his heavy lids for a moment and gazed on the strangers with dark eyes. You are held wise, my friend Wormtongue, and are doubtless a great support to your master answered Gandalf in a soft voice. Yet in two ways may a man come with evil tidings. He may be a worker of evil, or he may be such as leaves well alone, and comes only to bring aid in time of need. That is so, said Wormtongue. But there is a third kind. Pickers of bones, meddlers in other men's sorrows, carrion fowl that grow fat on war. What aid have you ever brought, Stormcrow? And what aid do you bring now? All right. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit just because I can't read this whole thing. No. Do you bring men? Do you bring horses, swords, spears? That I would call aid. That is our present need. But who are these that follow at your tail? Three ragged wanderers in gray, and you yourself the most beggar-like of the four. The courtesy of your hall is somewhat lessened of late, Theoden, son of Thangel, said Gandalf. Has not the messenger from your gate reported the names of my companions? Seldom has any lord of Rohan received three such guests. Weapons they have laid at your doors that are worth many a mortal man, even the mightiest. Indeed. My goodness. Wormtongue, you jerk. Yeah, I know he's such a <laughs> jerk. He really is. He's just... He's so conniving and manipulative. and he is so just, oh, just so slimy. He makes you just cringe every time he opens his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he speaks at the beginning of your passage, even the bit we didn't read, he he reaffirms Theoden's words. It's very much that uh, that obsequious, you speak justly, Lord. And and he goes on and then 
talks about all the things that are going on, including the news of Theodred's death, huh? I do have to give a shout out to Brad Dourif, though, in oh. the movie. Like, oh, yeah. a just question, my liege. You know, like, I tried to oh, yeah. I tried to not do the voice quite as uh, brokey as that, yeah. You did a good job of not trying to echo him, yeah. But, I mean, oh, man, that was such a great performance. Might have been one of the better side yeah. performances in the Truly. entire Three films, Truly, yeah. man. Brad Dourif <laughs> played two of my favorite. Side henchmen played Wormtongue, and then he played Piter DeVries in Dune. Right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but um, back to the text, because I digress. We do that. Yeah. Yeah. Then he goes on to say that few people trust Aemir. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But why is that, do you think? Well, I've got a little... For, is this our first sidebar of the episode? I think it is. Well, yeah. We're only a little bit in. I think it's fair to say it's our first real sidebar. Yeah. So this is from the Battles of the Fords of Eisen again, and I will read from that. Okay. The chief obstacles to an easy conquest of Rohan by Saruman were Theodred and Eomer. They were vigorous men, devoted to the king and high in his affections, as his only son and his sister's son, and they did all that they could to thwart the influence over him that Grima gained when the king's help began to fail. It was Grima's policy to bring his chief opponents into discredit with Theoden, and if mm. possible, to get rid of them. It proved impossible to set them at odds with one another. Theoden, before his sickness, had been much loved by all his kin and people, and the loyalty of Theodred and Aemir remained steadfast, even in his apparent dotage. Aemir also was not an ambitious man, and his love and respect for Theodred, thirteen years older than he, was only second to his love of his foster father. Grima therefore tried to play them one against the other in the mind of Theoden, representing Aemir as ever eager to increase his own authority and to act without consulting the king or his heir. In this, he had some success, which bore fruit when Saruman at last succeeded in achieving the death of Theodred. Mm. I guess it's worth noting here that Theoden is referred to in that passage as Aemir's foster father. Yeah. That's because Aemir's father, Aemond, the chief marshal of the Mark at the time, was killed by orcs in 3002, according to a footnote to this section. Now, the tale of years tells us that Aemir was born in 2991 and Eowyn in 2995, so they'd have been around 11 and 7 years old when their father was killed. Mm -hmm. Now, the same footnote adds that their mother, Theodwin, died soon after, and that the children were then raised by Theoden. So they've been yeah. with him for a very long time. A very long time, indeed. And so it makes sense that Aemir loves Theoden the way he does. Yeah, and even Theodred. I mean, 13 years older, so yeah, he comes in, maybe, maybe he's 12 or 13. Theodred is 25, 26 years old. Right. Almost a father figure in himself. Oh, he I mean, he would have yeah. so looked up to him, you know? Absolutely. And it's just, ugh, icky. Once again, Grima, you jerk. Yeah. yeah. For, you know, trying to pit these two against each other. And, and he couldn't because they loved each other so much that he couldn't pit them against each other. So then he just starts spreading these lies mm -hmm. to Theoden. Yeah. We get another hint, by the way, of, of Grima's poisoning, this line here about Theoden before his sickness. And it's in, it's in air quotes, essentially. Oh, right yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, notice in the passage that Wormtongue mentions the threat from Mordor, yeah. but not the threat from Isengard. Mm. Hmm. I wonder why he I know. Hmm, doesn't talk that? about that, even though that is precisely the threat that killed Theodred. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Theodred died not because of Mordor, but because of Isengard. Yeah. And that killing was absolutely targeted. It was an intentional act on Saruman's part to try to kill Theodred and not to worry about the strategic or tactical outcome of the battle. It, it wasn't just bad luck on the battlefield that got him killed. So if we go back to the battles of the Fords of Ice and we read, it was clearly seen in Rohan when the true accounts of the battles at the Fords were known that Saruman had given special orders that Theodred should at all costs be slain. 
at the first battle, all his fiercest warriors were engaged in reckless assaults upon Theodred and his guard, disregarding other events of the battle, which might otherwise have resulted in a much more damaging defeat for the Rohirrim. When Theodred was at last slain, Saruman's commander, no doubt under orders, seemed satisfied for the time being, and Saruman made the mistake, fatal as it proved, of not immediately throwing in more forces and proceeding at once to a massive invasion of Westfold. Wow. So focused on that one thing yeah. that he ignores. That he ignored other strategic yeah. goals. Yeah. You now have an opportunity that if you don't take now, it's going to come back to bite you, and it does yeah. exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously this must have been something that he was planning or trying for a long time because oh yeah in the passage that I read a little while ago it said that you know Saruman at last succeeded in achieving the death of Theodred so yeah. that makes it sound like he was trying this for a long time very much so because he knew if he had Theoden under his control it could kill Theodred that's it right yeah well back to the text here Wormtongue you know kind of laying it on thick repeats the question that the king asked which is why should we welcome you Stormcrow and then he adds the name Lothspell which means ill news. Now, I just, this is just a fun bit of word nerdery. Obviously, this is Old English. And I would just like to point out for those who are familiar with the Old English word Godspell, which means good news, uh, yeah. which is the origin of the word gospel. Right. Basically, the same construction Godspell is good news, Lothspell is ill news. Hated news, yeah. Right. Loth means hated or hateful. It's actually related to the modern words loathe and loath. Oh, yeah. So Gandalf responds. At least his first response is very measured, very reasonable. Right. It's also the first time we're told this is Wormtongue. We've heard the name before, and we would rightly have assumed this was him, but this is when he's addressed by this name for the first time. And I guess I need to do a little more word nerdery here on the name Wormtongue. Think that's a good idea. Might as well. In the nomenclature, Tolkien tells us it is a modernized form of Old English or Rohiric Wormtunga, meaning snake tongue. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, then. And Hammond and Skull point out that there's an Icelandic tale of Gunlag the Wormtongue, translated by William Morris and Erikar Magnusson. But there the name Wormtongue was given to a poet because of his sharp wit. So Wormtongue originally, at least in Old English, was with the sense of worm is in the sense of a serpent or snake, right? right it's not those right. little things that you'll see in your garden or your compost. Yeah, you put on the fishing hook, right. Right, or that. Um, and it was a sign of a sharp wit. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm pointing that out because I want us to remember that for a yeah. little bit later on. Yes. But now, I think it's time for another sidebar on Grima or Wormtongue himself. I think so. I agree. Now, Wormtongue seems to have his inspiration in a character from Beowulf by the name of Unferth. I'm going to read here from line 406 of Tolkien's translation. Unferth spake, son of Edgelaf, who sat at the feet of the Lord of the Shieldings. A spell to bring forth strife he loosed. The quest of Beowulf come thus boldly over the sea gave to him great displeasure, for it was not to his liking that any other man in this world below should ever accomplish more honor under heaven than he himself. Well, that is something. But I think I also want to take a look at Tolkien's explanation of Unferth in his commentary. Here's what Tolkien says. He has a name suitable to his function. Unferth means unpeace, quarrel. Ah. And the first thing we hear of him is that he unloosed a spell for the creating of strife. The name was made for the figure, a sinister figure in the renowned court of Herod. Evidently, he is largely a creation, an element in the ominous situation at Herod, as it was dramatized by English poets, a literary relative of those wicked counselors that have the ear of aged kings. <laughs> mm. So, trivia time. 
If I'm talking about a wicked counselor to an aged king, <laughs> an unfriendly name for an unfriendly person who's immediately trying to discredit a hero in front of the uh -huh. king, trying to spread strife, am I talking about Unferth or Wormtongue? I'll take Wormtongue for 500, <laughs> Alex. Yeah. The answer is both, but yeah, yes. That's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Gandalf, still trying to be diplomatic, says to Wormtongue, you're a big help to the king and you know, you're accounted wise, but... Just remember that evil tidings, like we said before, may just mean that a man only comes when he's needed. Yeah, but then Wormtongue kind of spins this a little bit and says, no, there's actually a third type of person who shows up when trouble's coming. And that's somebody like a carrion bird, which is what he yeah. likens Gandalf to. Somebody who never brings aid, mm -hmm. just there to kind of pick at the bones. Yeah, and get fat off the profits of war. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he starts just kind of laying into recent events. You know, he kind of recaps the fact that Gandalf took shadow facts. Mm -hmm. He's asking him, look, are you bringing aid now? Are you bringing us horses or spears or men to fight these battles? No, you're just bringing these three beggars. Uh, yeah. And you are the most beggar-like of the four. Wow. Ouch. Yeah. No wonder Gandalf says what he does next. <laughs> the second response is a little bit stronger, isn't it? it yeah, it's it is. a little bit more confrontational. Mm -hmm. So he chastises Theoden for the lack of courtesy in his hall. That's right, because it is Theoden's responsibility here. Even though he's not the one who's made this comment, it's his guy that's done it. It's yeah. his responsibility to keep his people in check. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got he's got a, a counselor going rogue and insulting a guest. Mm -hmm. That That's not good. You no. don't do that. It's an unwise thing, yeah. Yeah. And then Gandalf reminds him of, these just aren't just any guests. Yeah, these aren't just three ordinary people, by the way. No. Three beggars, my foot. I mean, these guys <laughs> and their even their weapons are yeah. worthier than many men. Yeah. The weapons are worth more than a mortal man, even the mightiest. Yeah. Yeah. And after the part you read, he even points out that they'd gone through Lothlorien. And that's why they're clothed in gray. Well, that doesn't really actually sit very well with Wormtongue. It doesn't win any points with him. And he's like, well, <laughs> no. that settles it. You know, not only are you beggars, you're in league with a sorceress. Uh, yeah. Whoa. And then he says something which you know is just like a proverb or oh, like yeah. a, something they tell to, to scare children. Yeah, an old wives' tale, right? Webs of deceit were ever woven in Dwimmerdeen. Mm. And we'll see the reaction that we get from that in a little bit. But I think, but, I think somebody's not going to be too happy. About I think that. there's going to be a very short man who's really angry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but before we're accused of being in league with a sorceress, which, you know, we might or might not be, we wanted to remind you that our inaugural PPP moot is going to be here before you know it. Less than four weeks from now, it's going to go from May 14th to 16th. And you're going to want to visit our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, for more information and to register. Folks, we are so excited oh, about man, this first year. We sure meet, are. Yeah. And we cannot wait for all of you to join us. One of our keynote speakers is Dr. Amy Sturgis. Now, she's taught courses on everything from Tolkien and Harry Potter to Star Trek and Star Wars. And she's just a fantastic <laughs> speaker. Yeah. We saw her at last year's Myth Moot, and she was absolutely fantastic. And we're so looking forward to having her join us. We really are. And our other keynote speaker is Dr. Michael Drought, who joined us here on the Prancing Pony podcast all the way back in episode 66. Now, he's the editor for the J.R.R. Tolkien Encyclopedia. He's a co-editor for the journal Tolkien Studies. Now, he's been involved with Lotro, especially with the Rohirrim and Medjuseld, as a matter of fact. That's right, yeah. And so much more. Really, I mean, he's going to be phenomenal, and we are thrilled to have him join us, too. Now, the theme for this first-ever PPP moot is digital recovery. It's all about the many ways we find fairy online and regain a clear view from virtual communities and online fandom. 
We have got a full slate of presentations for you, and we've got a lot of fun social events as well. We've even got a pub quiz lined up. We've got a live AMA-style episode recording with me and Alan. Mm -hmm. So please plan on joining us. Please do. Now, our event pages are up and running now, so you can take a look at the schedule, check out our speakers, and most importantly, register to attend the three-day event. We have worked really hard to make our moot as accessible to as many people as possible, both in terms of time zones and cost. It's only $35 for the whole weekend. So go to the prancingponypodcast.com and sign up today. And while you're there, you're going to want to check out the rest of the website as well. We've still got all the other good stuff there from show notes to outtakes, to Prancing Pony Ponderings, and even our online storefront where you can get PPP shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. Including some stuff from the moot with our new design there. Yep. So one of the best resources we have at our website is our all-new library. Our web guru, Phil Dean, has worked really hard on redesigning the library and its shows. Of course, as you know, we love the books here at the Prancing Pony Podcast, and well, we want to make sure you can get your hands on any of the books that we mention here. Yeah, we may talk about a lot of different Tolkien-related stuff on the podcast, but at heart, Alan and I are fans of Tolkien's books and books about Tolkien, and that's why we have the library page with links to every book we've mentioned on the show. Now, we do make a few pennies from the purchases you make from those Amazon links, so thank you for your support. Right. So after Wormtongue disses Dwimmer Dean and everyone in it, <laughs> Alan's going to pick up with uh, the uh, not so surprised reaction of yeah. the shortest member of the fellowship there today. I'm sure we're all not shocked at all. Gimli strode a pace forward, but felt suddenly the hand of Gandalf clutch him by the shoulder, and he halted, standing stiff as stone. In Dwimmer Dean and Lorien. Seldom have walked the feet of men. Few mortal eyes have seen the light that lies there ever long and bright. I wish we could read more of that, but... I know. There you have it. Thus Gandalf softly sang, and then suddenly he changed. Casting his tattered cloak aside, he stood up and leaned no longer on his staff, and he spoke in a clear, cold voice. The wise speak only of what they know, Grima, son of Galmod. A witless worm have you become. Therefore be silent, and keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I have not passed through fire and death to bend a crooked word to the serving man to the lightning falls. He raised his staff. There was a roll of thunder. The sunlight was blotted out from the eastern windows. The whole hall became suddenly dark as night. The fire faded to sullen embers. Only Gandalf could be seen, standing white and tall before the blackened hearth. In the gloom, they heard the hiss of Wormtongue's voice. Did I not counsel you, Lord, to forbid his staff? That fool Hama has betrayed us. There was a flash as if lightning had cloven the roof. Then all was silent. Wormtongue sprawled on his face. Yeah! <laughs> uh, I love this moment. I know, this is a moment. It's so great. Well, going back to the beginning of your passage, which... We've hinted at a few times already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Notice that it's Gimli. That's the first one to move from this spot where they stopped sort of keeping that respectful distance from the king. Notice it's Gimli, the first one to kind of break that. Yeah. Everybody who's surprised, raise your hand. Right. I know. Like, yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk bad about Galadriel. Let's see who's the first one to respond. 
Not her future <laughs> grandson-in-law. No. No. Gimli. No. That's right. It's Gimli. But Gandalf stops him. Wise Gandalf's man. got a different response, doesn't he? Gandalf's got a different plan in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when he sings of Lorien and Galadriel. And just as a, a side note, because every once in a while I want to take some word nerdery, Dwimmer Dean simply means Phantom Veil, according to Tolkien's index. Yep. And then after the poem, we see this wonderful change in Gandalf. He casts his cloak aside, stands upright. You know, he's he's just shedding all the pretense that he's just this old guy, right? And he, he suddenly starts to reveal a little bit of his power. Yeah. I'm done with my costume. That's right. Exactly. Speaking clearly. And he calls Wormtongue by his proper name. This is the first time we see him called Grima, son of Galmod. Mm. Now, got to do a little word nerdery on this. Of course you do. Grima is Old English, mask or visor or specter even. And Galmod is Old English for light-minded or licentious. <laughs> so oh, okay. his name is basically mask, son of licentious. <laughs> <laughs> love that. I love and that. Here's where I need to give a hat tip to Hammond and Skull, who quote Jim Allen in an introduction to Elvish as saying that this is a good name for a traitor who hides his true face and his secret lust for Eowyn. Mm. Yeah. 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 Your name is Mask or Spectre or Ghost. <laughs> mm. Mask, son of licentious guy. My ew. goodness. That is, yeah. Yeah, that is an ew, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the truly awesome put down that Gandalf lays on Wormtongue. I mean, this is mm. brilliant. Witless worm not only suggests that he's beneath contempt, he's utterly low, but it also makes us think of worm like Sean mentioned earlier, like serpent, as in the serpent who tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. This is reinforced with that forked tongue comment, and it really calls out Grima as a deceiver. Yes, it totally does. And so Tolkien has taken that idea of a worm tongue, which was really a compliment in the Icelandic story we were talking about earlier, Gunlaug the Worm Tongue. Right. You know, that was in reference to his sharp wit, but Tolkien's turned that around. Now he's using it for someone who's not sharp-witted, but a liar with a front right. tongue. And not just a liar, but a witless yeah. liar, a witless worm. The opposite of sharp-witted, yeah. Yeah. So, again, just Tolkien's masterful use of language here and and the way that he just kind of subtly turns these, you know, use the same name, but just turn it around completely. And you kind of miss that if you just read the name on the surface and just, oh, mm-hmm. well, just worm tongue. Well, no, there's there's so much there. Yeah. If you understand what it means. That's right. Then we get the line about Gandalf not having passed through fire and death. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's talking about his fight with the Balrog and his resurrection. Right. right. But for the first couple of years of publication of this book, that wasn't how it read. Mm-hmm. If you have a first edition, which actually this is in the first three impressions of the first edition, you'll see that this read fire and flood instead. That's correct. We even see a reference to that in letter number 156 to Robert Murray. That's the one we quoted at length back in The White Rider when we did our sidebar on Gandalf's resurrection. In that letter, Tolkien says, probably Gandalf should rather have said to Wormtongue, I have not passed through death, not fire and flood, to bandy crooked words of the serving man. So Tolkien changed it, starting with the fourth printing in 1956. Uh, Hat tip to Hammond and Skull, by the way, for letting us know precisely when that change was made. You know, I would say only Tolkien would realize he should have done something differently and then go Just back about. and do it. But but it's not only Tolkien, actually. No. Now, I mean, not these at least days. he didn't have Greedo shooting first. So, <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. And then we get some Magia, don't we? Yeah. You know, Gandalf has started to 
to shed the the costume, as you said. Yeah. And now he's actually revealing some of his magia as he blots mm-hmm. out the sun. It's pretty serious. Yeah. Pretty serious. Calls up some thunder. And then he quiets the fire to just embers. I love how uh, not only does he call up this thunder and, you know, it gets suddenly, suddenly dark. He even has power over the fire. The fire is quieted mm-hmm. down, like you said, to those mere embers. That is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That is some serious power right that there. That is juice. That is serious juice. You're not kidding. Well, Wormtongue is, understandably, a little disappointed in Hama's allowing Gandalf in with his staff, calls him a fool that he's betrayed us. I don't know. I think he just made a judgment call. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I love the fact that the Rohirrim kind of make their own choices, don't they? That's right. We talked about that. They don't yeah. just take orders. That's right. Well, well, Gandalf puts the natural phenomena in reverse order and now breaks out the lightning. Uh, resulting right. in worm tongue sprawled on the floor. You remember, I'm sure, that you were told that just when you hear the thunder, start counting to five. And when you see the lightning, then you'll know how many miles away it is. Right. <laughs> right. That's that's exactly how it is. That's how yeah. I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Sound travels so much faster than light. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, just more power that Gandalf has. I'm going to bring that thunder in. And by the way, I'll bring the lightning later. That's how yeah. cool I am. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So now we get to a section that I knew I needed to give to you, not just because it's the rescue of Theoden, but because we meet Eowyn. And that is where I'm going to have you pick up. And I get to talk about myself in the third person a couple of times. Oh, isn't that cool? Yeah. Now, Theoden, son of Thango, will you hearken to me? Said Gandalf. Do you ask for help? He lifted his staff and pointed to a high window. There the darkness seemed to clear, and through the opening could be seen high and far a patch of shining sky. Not all is dark. Take courage, Lord of the Mark, for better help you will not find. No counsel have I to give to those that despair, yet counsel I could give and words I could speak to you. Will you hear them? They are not for all ears. I bid you come out before your doors and look abroad. Too long have you sat in shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. Slowly, Theoden left his chair. A faint light grew in the hall again. The woman hastened to the king's side, taking his arm, and with faltering steps the old man came down from the dais and paced softly through the hall. Wormtongue remained lying on the floor. They came to the doors, and Gandalf knocked. Open! he cried. The Lord of the Mark comes forth! Really, Sean, you're coming forth now? Is that is that what's going on? You know, I should come first or second on this show, but now I'm going to come fourth. <laughs> fourth. I love it. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, man. Well, who's third? Sean Marchese, the Lord of the Mark, comes fourth on a two-man show. <laughs> that's about right, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, just as an aside, I know we said we meet Eowyn in this passage. I, I just meant that she does something other than stand there. Yeah. We'll officially meet her a little bit later. So Gandalf has Theoden's attention now. That kind of thing will usually do it. Not surprised. He'd have my attention if he blotted out the sun, called up some thunder, put out the fire, (laughs) brought in some lightning. And then let the sun back in. And then, right. Yeah. So Gandalf, of course, asks, uh, are you going to ask for help? Are you going to listen? And then he points to this spot in the sky through the window, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. where the darkness is clearing. You know, the, the darkness has been temporary. There's this clear sky beyond. That's right. Everybody starts playing Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. But really, it is kind of like that, isn't it? He, he calls on Theoden to have courage and see that not all is dark. 
That's right. I was going to keep just making a nice little music bed for you there. Thank you. I, I, that would have been nice, actually. Yeah, I, don't know why I was, I I was trying, to, yeah, trying to pull that off. But uh, Gandalf, of course, admits, look, I can't counsel those who despair, right? There has to be some hope to hold on to. Yeah. And we've talked before about what despair means. And obviously, if you think you see the end, if you've seen the end beyond all, all hope, well, then there's nothing I can tell you that's going to turn that around. Yeah, I can't give you any advice that you're going to no. that, that's going to be useful to you because you've no. given up. That's right. But if you do have some hope, then I have advice to give. And I'm going to ask you once again, are you going to listen? And then he flat out basically tells him <laughs> that Wormtongue's oh, yeah. counsel has been just absolute junk. Total. <laughs> to, to, just, use, yeah. to, to pull it politely. You know, twisted tales and crooked promptings. Mm-hmm. And he invites Theoden to come outside. Yeah, that's right. And this is where Theoden rescues himself. This is one of the things that, look, I get the movie decisions. I'm not telling anybody that Jackson did it wrong. I'm just saying that the book version is better. I love that Theoden rescues himself here. He is not this powerless, possessed individual. He does have the ability, and he is the one who gets up. He is the one who walks outside again. And as he takes these actions, as he takes concrete steps towards this eventual redemption, he finds courage and he finds more hope. He obviously had just enough. And that light grows in the hall again, that visual metaphor of what's happening in his in his mind and in his heart. I think that is very well said. Oh, well, thank I, you. I, th- I think that it completely changes the the dynamic mm-hmm. of what's going on here. You see the movie. And again, it's very cinematic. Sure, it's of really course cool it is. looking in the movie. I love hearing Christopher Lee's voice coming out of yeah, the face it's and great and fighting you know controlled oh, by yeah. saruman and gandalf like just basically He's banging him against the back of the throne it's it's an exorcism it's it's it an is. actual exorcism cinematic truly that's what, is that's yeah. what peter jackson is channeling is every exorcism mm-hmm. scene in every movie minus the head spinning around on a that well that is true yeah it could have been worse certainly and the projectile vomiting yeah yeah okay not every exorcism <laughs> scene you know what i'm saying i know i know <laughs> It could have been a lot worse. Let's just put it that way. Could have been. That's true. That's what he's going for. That's like the cinematic reference he's making with it. Yeah. That is the flavor of scene that he wants right there. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's very much about, you know, forcing Saruman out. I will draw you as poison is drawn from a wound. He said, which is a great line. It's a fantastic line. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic line. Just changes the scene. Right. It just changes the scene. It changes this, changes the core of what this scene is. And I think that's one of the reasons why you don't see quite as much difference in the film versions of Theoden and Denethor. I mean, you see it. But in the book, the difference is is stark. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of the reasons why. Theoden, from the beginning, yeah, he's under the influence of Wormtongue, but he's not gone. And the minute right. Gandalf gives him something else to hold on to, he begins that turnaround. Yeah. And it's it starts inside. It starts with him. It starts with him. He has Gandalf to Gandalf may have provided the catalyst, but Theoden's the one who has to take the action. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. And so it, it becomes more of an arc for Theoden. Yes. You know, we talk about the the many character arcs that were given to many characters in the movies. Mm-hmm. But this is one where Theoden actually getting up himself and making yeah. the choice to be saved, that really starts him on a very different kind of character arc that it really does. ends in the same place, but I think it means mm-hmm. something very different. It's really Indeed. cool. No doubt. Well, so we talked about the woman who helps him and mm-hmm. helps him down the dais. And Who's that woman? Who's that woman? We'll name her in a moment. It's fine. I know. And it's I'm I'm like super fan, so people know, yeah, that, I know. I think by now. We all know that. If it's not Arendel, <laughs> it's Eowyn, we know. Pretty much, yeah. Hey, Faramir's like number three. So you Well know, good. I'm right he's there with he's you my now. number one in, at least in the third age. Yeah. 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 
Anyway, but it seems like Gandalf has stayed back by the hearth. Uh-huh. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah, nobody's moved. He held Gimli from going forward. They've never gone any further past that. But now, right. now. But now he's actually walked to the doors with Theoden. Right. And then the doors open. This keen air comes in. Now, oh, I didn't read that part. I love but that. Right. I love that because it's just, it's, you just feel the sense of renewal that mm-hmm. comes from that as this yeah. keen air comes in. Absolutely. And Gandalf basically says, look, let's, you know, let's go outside. Let's go talk alone. Yeah, that's true. He does send away the guards and even sends away Eowyn. Uh, and that's when we, of course, get her name for the that's very first time. That's when we get time. her name. Yeah, yep. Theoden calls her by name. And he says something very, very important. The time for fear is past. I know we didn't have you read that. And that's because, darn it, this whole chapter, every word is important. Again, such hard choices. It really, really was. I can't tell you how many times, no, I want to read that. But then if I read that, then I can't read this. And it's just. Yeah. But this moment, the time for fear is past. This is the transition of Theoden. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. All right. Well, coming to my favorite character in the Third Age, Eowyn. Yeah. Let me start in the most Sean way possible by doing word nerdery on Eowyn's name. <laughs> yes. So her name comes from Old English Eo, which means mm-hmm. horse, element that's in many Rohiric names, obviously. And yeah. then the second element there is win, meaning delight or pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it basically means joy or delight in horses. Now, we've already mentioned how she is Theoden's sister daughter or niece. Right. And how she and her brother Eomer came to live with the king after their parents both died when they were young. Mm-hmm. And then we get this lovely description of Eowyn, you know, this description of her with this long hair, like a river of gold. Oh, I love that line. She's slender and tall, but she's strong and, and, and stern. Yeah. Stern as steel. Yeah. Hmm. Fair and cold. We get that in there too. I mean, yeah. it, it's a lovely description. It's also kind of an intimidating, well, not kind of, it's a very intimidating description. I it's think. very intimidating. Yeah. And we see her through Aragorn's eyes, really. He's the point of view character here. Right. Well, I guess we need to talk about that because this really basically is kind of a a moment between these two characters. Yeah. A moment that was almost a romantic moment. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, first we get Aragorn saying for the first time, Aragorn beheld her and Mm -hmm. thought her fair like this morning of pale spring. And now she was aware of him, this Mm -hmm. tall heir of kings, tall, dark, and handsome. Maybe not so handsome as we'll find out from Tolkien in a little bit. (laughs) And that is where we're going to go because- For a little while, at least, Tolkien intended this moment to be a romantic moment, the love story that almost was. (laughs) In Treason of Isengard, we read Christopher's explanation. He says, the significance of the meeting of Aragorn and Eowyn, on the other hand, was destined to survive, though fundamentally transformed. In this first version, in a passage already cited after she had gone, quote, he stood still, looking at the dark doors and taking little heed of other things. At the meal before the departure, quote, Aragorn was silent, but his eyes followed Eowyn. Christopher mentions that that was struck out, and when she brought the wine to the guests, Tolkien wrote, long she looked upon Aragorn, and long he looked upon her. For which was substituted, as she stood before Aragorn, she paused suddenly and looked upon him, as if only now had she seen him clearly. He looked down upon her fair face, and their eyes met. For a moment, they stood thus. And their hands met as he took the cup from her. Aw. I'm sorry. I'm all getting romantic novel reading. I know. I can I can just I can just imagine your eyes misting up and you're just kind of Yeah, it's a you're sweet putting on your moment. soft voice. It's your Valentine's Day voice. <laughs> <laughs> well then No, that's my very wide voice, actually. <laughs> no, nope, nope. <laughs> no, it ain't, no, it ain't no. that kind of story. No, it ain't. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. No. Not till Amazon gets their hands on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, sorry. Man. <laughs> Every time you say that, I get scared. I know. <laughs> I'm scared. Be scared with me, Sean. Uh, cautiously optimistic. That's what I'm going I know. For. Me cautiously too. Optimistic. Me too. Cautiously and quite possibly naively optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, going back to Treason of Isengard, Christopher <laughs> then gives a, a list of small notes of his father's on this scene, including this interesting bit. Yeah. Aragorn weds Eowyn, sister of Eomer, and becomes king of Gondor. Uh-huh. Well, okay, part of that sounds like the familiar story, but... Right. Then Christopher points out that the story of Aragorn and Eowyn would, in the event, of course, be quite otherwise. And in another short group of notes, isolated and undateable, this marital alliance of Rohan and Gondor was rejected, and no other was foreseen. No other at the time, at least. At the time. Right. Now, indeed, the next note of his father's explains why he wasn't going to pair these two together. I, I feel called out. <laughs> Cut out the love story of Aragorn and Eowyn. Aragorn is too old and lordly and grim. <laughs> two you. out of three ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Christopher goes on to, uh, to say, he then says to make Eowyn a stern Amazon woman and that she probably should die to avenge or save Theoden. Wow. Christopher then points out, though, that this would, however, require yet another change, altering the message of Galadriel. So oh? wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, okay, y you had me up until going from marrying Aragorn to stern Amazon woman. That's a yeah. big pendulum swing. That was a big pendulum swing. Stern Amazon woman actually kind of fits with an old lordly groom guy. I don't know. <laughs> It would have been an interesting marriage. Yeah, yeah. But okay, what about this message of Galadriel? Again, you know, you you dive into history of Middle Earth and you just start to go down these little, these what if rabbit trails, I know. right? It's you know? so much fun. Yeah. It is. But okay, what message of Galadriel are we talking about here? Yeah. Well, it's the message that Gandalf gave to Aragorn as coming from Galadriel in this old version of the story, uh -huh. where she says, Elfstone, Elfstone, bearer of my green stone. In the south under snow, a green stone thou shalt see. Look well, Elfstone, in the shadow of the dark throne, then the hour is at hand that long awaited thee. And the green stone she's talking about was the one in Phaedon's circlet, Ooh. which in the final draft that we just read ended up becoming a clear stone. True. And it was Eowyn standing in the <sighs> shadow of that dark throne. So she was, wow, Galadriel prophesying about him meeting Eowyn. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And not her own granddaughter. Right. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she was just trying to keep him far away from her granddaughter. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You're not of the right just kind. Just go, you know? go marry some nice mortal girl. Yeah, please. Really fascinating. I mean, that is, is a what if, if I ever heard one. That is a wild what if. And I do yeah. love seeing those little things in the history of Middle Earth, seeing the what yeah. ifs and seeing the development of the story, not just the development of the characters, but radical changes to the plot line like that. Yeah. A lot of fun. But I am glad that Tolkien ended up where oh, he ended yeah. up. I mean, not only with, you know, going back and forth from like having her marry Aragorn to, okay, she's just going to be this stern Amazon woman, by which I mean that she's, I, I assume he means that she's not going to settle down with any man. Right. Not that she shops on Amazon. I'm guessing not. <laughs> Modern Amazon woman takes on a whole new meaning. It does. It does. <laughs> but no, he kind of like settles uh, kind of in the middle. You know, she has, yeah. she still has the chance to have this romance, but it's not the romance with Aragorn, of course. It's, That's it's right. the romance with Faramir, which I think is, I don't know. I like it. I think it's I love it. It's one of my favorite moments in the entire 
uh, yeah. Lord of the Rings. It really is. I can't wait to get to that moment. Me too. And because I, it is, you know, it's my two favorite characters in this book. Yeah. So, yeah. It's two of my top four. I mean, I'd put Faramir at number one, but yeah, I mean, certainly love Eowyn and I just love their love story. It's so neat. Yeah, it is. We'll get there in two years. Yeah, I know. It does feel like it's around the corner and then you realize it's not anywhere near the corner. Three We've years, actually. Three years. Yeah. That's right. Three years. we got a long way to go before we get to that one. But now I'm going to go ahead and pick up after we had that moment, that not quite moment between Aragorn and Eowyn. And this right. is that conversation between Gandalf and Theoden outside. This is, can I just tell you that I let you have the passage I let you have because I wanted this. This transition of Theoden, this return of Theoden is one of my favorite absolute favorite moments in this entire section of the book. So I'll allow it. Well, thank you. Your, your grace is, uh, I, I'm just impressed. <laughs> All right. Now, Lord, said Gandalf, look out upon your land. Breathe the free air again. From the porch upon the top of the high terrace, they could see beyond the stream, the green fields of Rohan fading into distant gray. Curtains of wind-blown rain were slanting down. The sky above and to the west was still dark with thunder, and lightning far away flickered among the tops of hidden hills. But the wind had shifted to the north, and already the storm that had come out of the east was receding, rolling away southward to the sea. Suddenly, through a rent in the clouds behind them, a shaft of sun stabbed down. The falling showers gleamed like silver, and far away the river glittered like a shimmering glass. It is not so dark here, said Theoden. No, said Gandalf, nor does age lie so heavily on your shoulders as some would have you think. Cast aside your prop. From the king's hand, the black staff fell clattering on the stones. He drew himself up, slowly, as a man that is stiff from long bending over some dull toil. Now tall and straight he stood and his eyes were blue as he looked into the opening sky. Dark have been my dreams of late, he said, but I feel as one new awakened. I would now that you had come before, Gandalf, for I fear that already you have come too late, only to see the last days of my house. Not long now shall stand the high hall which Brego, son of Eor, built. Fire shall devour the high seat. What is to be done? Oh, man. What is to be done? We'll get to that. But first, let's go back to the beginning, right? Yeah. So back at the beginning of that passage, Gandalf reminds Theoden, this is your land. Look out yeah. upon your land. That's right. And now I'm suddenly remembering that I haven't done word nerdery on Theoden's name, have I? Oh my goodness. No, you haven't. I think I've done it before, which is probably why I didn't think to do it in this episode. But Probably. Yeah. It, it's worth calling out here. Theoden is basically just an old English name that means prince or king. Yeah. But what's interesting about it is it actually comes from the old English word theod, which means people or nation. Right. And so it's a word for a king that is tied utterly to the people that he rules, right? Yes. It's, it's, you know, we talked about, I think a long time ago, we talked about the idea that Thorin is uh, a king of his people and it, he's, you know, he's, he's sort of a representative of his people and all that stuff. His his role is tied to the people that he rules. And I think that's very right. much the sense you get in the name Theoden mm. is that mm -hmm. it, he really does represent his people and his nation. And so right. when Gandalf says, look out upon your land, I mean, that's the meaning of his name is, is he's, you know, the Lord of this land. That's right. I think that's just a really interesting call out from Gandalf here. And we shall call it your land. This land. Yes. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> but, you know, he says, look, look, the air is free. You know, the water yeah. you have to pay for, but the air is free. <laughs> nice, nice. No, I, I, I like this idea that, you know, breathe the free air again. This isn't just that it isn't stifling like it is in the hall. This is, I think, symbolic of freedom itself, of free will, of making choices. You know, Theoden has just made this decision. He is free to decide things. He doesn't have to do what Grima says. He doesn't even have to do what Gandalf says. The air is free and, and so are you. I see that really strongly here. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, then we get into a really gorgeous landscape description. Oh, I know. Oh, what a scene this is, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we basically look past the snowborn to the green fields. We see these curtains of windblown rain. Storm in the west. Yeah, yeah. So it's come from the east, it seems like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we get the lightning and the thunder. Mm -hmm. But then the winds shift and the storm retreats. Yeah. And then we have this moment where, again, the you know there's this rent in the clouds and this shaft of sun. Again, I, I probably should have saved the here comes the sun joke for this moment. That's a very good point. No. <laughs> we can still do it again. Here comes the sun. Well, you know, this may be daylight, but I'm still reminded with this rent in the clouds and shaft of sun of that moment in Mordor that we'll get to in a couple of years when... Peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. I can't help but see that connection because here we also have a rent in the clouds, the mention of a bright shaft, and the return of hope. You're absolutely right. And then that hope seems to suddenly strike Theoden, doesn't it? Because he says, you know, it's not so dark here. Yeah. And I don't think he's just talking about the weather. I think he's no. talking about no. He's talking about the world. He's talking about the, his own feelings at this point. You know, he yeah. has hope again. It isn't so dark. Yeah. I Even think his heart isn't so dark. No, I agree. I, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. Yeah. And then Gandalf has this... This great little comment about, you know, you're not as old as others want you to think. Age doesn't oh, lie man. so heavily as some would have you think. Yeah. Obviously talking about Wormtongue, right? Because Wormtongue's been oh, lying yeah. to him about, oh, you're old. You can't do anything. You have to rely on me for everything. It's That's like, right. No, no. You, you've still got strength. You've yeah, still you got do. the ability to do something. Yeah, you do. And this really is the moment, isn't it? This is, yeah. you know, if you're making a new scene, a new, a new film of this scene, this is when the orchestral score just begins to soar and the camera orbits around Theoden, right? As he chooses to draw himself up, you know, it's slow, it's painful. He has been reduced to this old man really under the thumb of Wormtongue for, for a few years now. So this is taking effort, but that's part of the point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This isn't easy for him. He has to make this choice and, and really push through. He takes this opportunity to fight that despair and embrace hope and, Look, you and I may like the films, and we love film Rohan, but Book Theoden sure. here is, I think we've seen now, for sure, an improvement on possessed film Theoden. Yeah. Definitely. He's just got so much agency here in his yes, own- Yes, that's a good word. His own healing, you know? Mm -hmm. he, he makes a choice. He, he makes does. a choice to, to be healed and to put all that stuff behind him. Yeah, yeah. And then in a wonderfully cinematic moment of the book, yeah. he lets the staff fall. The staff that has been- his prop for age, if I can borrow a phrase from last episode, talking yeah. about somebody else's staff. Right. You know, this thing that's been his his cane that he's been leaning yeah. on. 
he drops it. He doesn't yeah. need it anymore. No. And he just slowly stands straight up and looks into the sky. This, yeah. He's rejuvenated. He's refreshed. Yeah. It's the beginning of a new road. And the road still yeah. has to continue, as we'll see. There are some bumps along that road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it is not going to end. I mean, oh, <laughs> it's going to end yeah. in a Germanic way. Yes, it Spoilers. is. Very Beowulfian way. That's true. It's going to end in a sad way, at least mm-hmm. how we would traditionally see it. But it's such an arc for him. Yeah, it is. And it's wonderful. And and he feels this, too, because he, he says that he wishes Gandalf had come sooner. Yeah. You know, he realizes now that he's been lied to. He realizes that he's been he's been duped. Yeah, he's been manipulated. Oh man, I wish that I had taken this opportunity sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful moment. It it really is. And though we see Theoden making these choices, we've talked about him having agency, we've talked about his free will. It does seem evident and we should point this out that Gandalf's inspiration here is really powerful. I mean, that's what he means. Gandalf, I wish you would have been here sooner. Yeah, not I wish I did this myself sooner. Right. I wish you'd come and given me that catalyst, that that you'd come and and brought about this change or given an opportunity and encouragement for that change. Mm -hmm. This is another one of those yes and. I mean, Theoden has the free will, but, you know, Gandalf's the one who's come along and, I don't know, given him a little nudge out of the door. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, one of those things. So, yeah. He's the one who's made this opportunity available to him, but Theoden has to be the one to take it. Yeah, absolutely. It is a yes and for sure. And he is absolutely glad for this change that's come over him. But now we see one of the reasons why he wishes that Gandalf had come sooner, because he fears yeah. it's too late now. Yeah. You know, he fears that he's, you know, you've come only to see the last days of my house, meaning yeah. you know, his line. His house and his hall, right. Yeah. I mean, some people would say house, meaning the the structure you live in, which he means, but he also means his line. Yeah. He doesn't mean his physical house. He means his line. But then he means his physical house too, right? <laughs> right. He means yeah. Medusel's yeah. as well. And then he asks this question that shows that, the, you know, the change is complete and he's ready to take action. Right. Okay. What's to be done? You know, I have to say, I think to some, it may perhaps seem that he's moaning, right? Oh no, what are we going to do? Fire's going to devour the high seat. I, I don't think that's what we're hearing here. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no. I, I've never taken it that way. No. And, and I just want to make sure that, you know, people understand that's not how this is written, I don't think. As can be seen by his actions, he's what he means is, I'm ready to take action. What are we going to do? Yeah. I'm ready to stop sitting and waiting for the end. Go ahead and give me that counsel, Gandalf. I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's moved from that despair to mm-hmm. this decision to to take this course of action. He's, he's making this decision of his own volition. That's right. That's right. It's sort of like the difference between a, a resolution you know, saying, okay, I've made the decision to do this and actually going to the gym. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you feel called out? I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Got to bring that up again. No, I just, you know, I'm thinking, because we've all done that. I mean, how many years did I decide I'm going to do that? And then I didn't do it. I've done it every year for the past 20. (laughs) I was re I was watching something. I don't remember what show it was, but there was this hilarious joke. Uh, I don't even remember even the scenario. I just remember, I think it was a husband and a wife and it was New Year's. And he said something to her like, why don't you just write a check to Curves and be done with it? <laughs> just, you know, we know you're going to pay for a membership that you're right. never going to use. That you're never going to use. That's just a terrible thing to Save say. Save yourself the guilt and just right. don't even plan on going to the gym. Just give right. them the money. Just write a yeah. check and be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, no, he, he really is committed to this course of action. Yeah. He is going to do it. He is going to do it and he's ready to do it. So just tell me what to do. Right. That's right. So Gandalf starts. Okay, look, first thing, yeah. release Amir. Yeah. 
And Peyton's like, yeah, yeah, I totally should do that, shouldn't I? <laughs> should. That's right. I mean, it's a good idea. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> sure, it was Wormtongue's idea, but, you know. But he does say that, you know, both Aemir and Hama were disobedient to him. True, but. You know, the guilty shall bring the guilty to judgment. I love that line. <laughs> but look at the change, right? I mean, his voice was grim when he said that, but he smiled. Yeah. And that smile quite literally changed his face. It's a, it's the beginning of a transformation. He's doing something. Even yeah. if it's just releasing Aemir and having Hama go bring him, that's action. Yeah, he's starting to fix his mistakes. That's right. And it's a, a step down that road, that road yeah. of transformation. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so Hama's going to go and come back. And that's where you're going to pick up. All right. When Hama had been summoned and had gone, Gandalf led Theoden to a stone seat and then sat himself before the king upon the topmost stair. Aragorn and his companions stood nearby. There is no time to tell all that you should hear, said Gandalf. Yet if my hope is not cheated, a time will come ere long when I can speak more fully. Behold, you are come into a peril greater even than the wit of Wormtongue could weave into your dreams. But see, you dream no longer. You live. Gondor and Rohan do not stand alone. The enemy is strong beyond our reckoning, yet we have a hope at which he has not guessed. Quickly now Gandalf spoke. His voice was low and secret and none save the king heard what he said. But ever as he spoke, the light shone brighter in Theoden's eye, and at the last he rose from his seat to his full height, and Gandalf beside him, and together they looked out from the high place towards the east. Verily, said Gandalf, now in a loud voice, keen and clear, that way lies our hope where sits our greatest fear. Doom hangs still on a thread, yet hope there is still if we can but stand unconquered for a little while. Mm. Oh, man. Stand unconquered for a little while. Mm -hmm. You know, Gandalf reminds Theoden in the beginning of the passage that you read that this is a very dangerous time, but you are not alone. Yeah, it's not just Gondor that's out there. No, no. Who's going to be able to stand with you, but there's also this secret hope. Oh, I love that. I mean, the text doesn't tell us what he says, right? It just says, none save the king heard what he said, so we don't get the details. But like the love story between Eowyn and Aragorn, it wasn't always this way. In the Treason of Isengard, the passage read, His voice was low and secret, and yet to those beside him keen and clear. Of Sauron he told, and the Lady Galadriel, and of Elrond in Rivendell far away, of the council, and the setting forth of the Company of Nine, and all the perils of their road. Four only have come thus far, he said. One is lost, Boromir, Prince of Gondor. Two were captured, but are free and two have gone upon a dark quest. Look eastward, Theoden. Into the heart of menace they have gone. Two small folk, such as you and Rohan, deem but the matter of children's tales. Yet doom hangs upon them. Our hope is with them. Hope, if we can but stand meanwhile. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I almost kind of wish that passage had made it into the final I draft. know, I do too. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot of information, I guess. It is. Not much more, but... That's true. He doesn't talk about what the dark quest actually is. No. But I like that he talks about each member of the fellowship. Yeah. Especially the two small folk, such as you and Rohan, deem but the matter of children's tales. I love that. Yeah. So, okay, if not that, so what does Gandalf tell Theoden in the final version of the story? Good question. Well, it seems like he doesn't tell him everything. No. First of all, there's not enough time, right? 
And <laughs> That's then true. Yeah. Gandalf himself said that he hopes to be able to speak more fully later. Mm. And then later, he actually hints at the full story as though it was never told, mentioning two members of my company, sharers of a secret hope, of which even to you, Lord, I cannot yet speak openly. Ah, yeah. So now they and the others mm -hmm. look east. Right. Their thoughts on Frodo and Sam. Yeah, this is the part that we have to skip the reading part. But yeah, yeah. they all start thinking, where now is the ring bearer? Well, funny you should ask. Uh, today is March 2nd, and Frodo and Sam have just completed their second day in the Dead Marshes. That's right. Mm -hmm. And while we're at it, right now, Merry and Pippin are wrapping up Entmoot. Oh, yeah. And the Ents are beginning their march on Isengard. Mm -hmm. The line, Night Lies Over Isengard, that we saw a few episodes ago, is going to take place on the night that we'll be seeing in the next chapter. Right, which is the night coming up, this coming night. Right. right. And then we get that little bit about Legolas's vision, right? The the straining his far-seeing eyes. <laughs> we've, we've talked about this before. This is a cool description, but it's it like... It is a really cool description. Yeah. But even if he could see this distance, which is 300 miles to Minas Tirith and 370 miles to Mount Doom, the curvature of the earth really would prevent it. He'd have to be on a mountain twice as tall as Mount Everest just to see Minas Tirith over the curvature of the earth. I mean, 60,000, I'm sorry. Yeah, he'd have to be at 60,000 feet, twice as high as Mount Everest, as high as the Concord flew. Wow. And <laughs> in order to see Mount Doom, wow. he'd have to fly higher than the highest plane that ever flew in sustained flight. 85,000 feet, said in 1976 by the SR-71 Blackbird, the coolest wow. plane ever. He'd have to be wow. at 90,000 feet. <laughs> In order to see. First of all, Mount kudos Doom. to you for doing that math problem for us. That's super cool. <laughs> I know, by the way, that there have been planes that have gone higher. I'm talking about sustained flight. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there have been a couple of, yeah, yeah. like arcs, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously not really scientifically possible that Legolas could see Minas Tirith. But it's still pretty cool, huh? Still, it's pretty cool that he can envision it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and kind of see it in his mind's eye or however he sees it. Maybe that's how it is. I, I can buy you that. Know, yeah. Minas Tirith and the threat of Mount Doom. Sure. Sort of getting a vision of it. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Not seeing it with his retinas, per se. <laughs> right. Right. Because <laughs> physics, you know. That also assumes, by the way, absolutely no distortion in the air. You know, no. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. Anyway, sorry. Okay, Bill Nye. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we're going to get some actual scientists telling me how wrong I am and giving me like, you know, mathematics to prove it. But I'll accept that. Honestly, every time you start talking about line of sight and the curvature of the earth, I just think of Independence Day. Oh, man. And Jeff Goldblum drawing the diagram of how, that was awesome. use, how the, the aliens are using the satellites to. <laughs> and yeah. then they upload a virus using a Mac because nobody right. would expect a Mac to upload a virus. <laughs> Right. Oh, my goodness. I mean, really, should have used a Windows machine because then, you know, there's like plenty of malware on there. All right. <laughs> all right. Oh, man, because they don't even have any antivirus at all. Those aliens are just totally open to everything. Apparently. Yeah. They, they got an email about the Nigerian prince, too. No information security the on their gonna... ships. Please, good sir. I have $10 million. I'd like to... I'd like to let you have some of it if you would open an account in my name and send me some money. Man, I haven't thought of that one in a long time. I know. No. Anyway. Uh, anyway, indeed. I'm going to go ahead and pick up from there after they've envisioned, Legolas has envisioned the Tower of Card in Mount Doom. Slowly, Theoden sat down again, as if weariness still struggled to master him against the will of Gandalf. He turned and looked at his great house. Alas, he said, that these evil days should be mine, 
and should come in my old age, instead of that peace which I have earned. Alas for Boromir the brave, the young perish, and the old linger, withering. He clutched his knees with his wrinkled hands. Your fingers would remember their old strength better if they grasped a sword hilt, said Gandalf. Theoden rose and put his hand to his side, but no sword hung at his belt. Or as Grima stowed it, he muttered under his breath. Take this, dear lord, said a clear voice. It was ever at your service. Two men had come softly up the stair and stood now a few steps from the top. Eomer was there. No helm was on his head, no mail was on his breast, but in his hand he held a drawn sword, and as he knelt, he offered the hilt to his master. How comes this? said Theoden sternly. He turned towards Eomer, and the men looked in wonder at him, standing now proud and erect. Where was the old man whom they had left crouching in his chair, or leaning on his stick? It is my doing, lord, said Hama, trembling. I understood that Eomer was to be set free. Such joy was in my heart that maybe I have erred. Yet, since he was free again, and he a marshal of the mark, I brought him his sword as he bade me. To lay at your feet, my lord, said Eomer. Oh, this is such a chill sort of moment. There's such honor and respect and love here. It's a great, great scene. Yeah, it is. It is. So let's go back to the beginning of it and yeah. see that, okay, we were talking about the healing of Theoden and how he's made this decision to do something, right? But he's, right. You know, he's still, there's still a fight here for him. Uh-huh. He's, he's begun that turn towards action, but this weariness is still struggling to master him. That's right. It's going to be a constant struggle, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is old. I mean, he is. We just said 70, 71 years old. He is going to be weary. There is some truth to that, especially yeah. at first as he's trying to kind of overcome this uh, momentum is the wrong word, but, you know, to overcome the whole idea of an object at rest tends to stay at rest. Right. You know, it's going to be a little, little bit of a, a challenge for him. But I love this great line about having earned peace. Mm. I mean, don't we all sort of think that way? I mean, isn't this the regret of anybody living in times of strife? I think we've all felt that, you know, where you've been through so much and you just feel like, right. I just, I've earned a break. I've earned some peace. And yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't come. No. It, you want it. You think it's appropriate. You think it's fair. And life just isn't fair. And speaking of life not being fair, we get that fantastic line about Boromir. Oh, the yeah. young perish while the old linger withering. Oh, oh. it's such a powerful statement. And it's so, so profound. And that's something that Tolkien would have understood from both sides of that, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, first of all, not too many years before writing this, he was the old one lingering while the young were fighting World War II. And that, yeah. and that includes two of his sons. That's right. But, of course, you know, decades before that, he had actually been the young himself fighting in World War I. Right. Now... Time to give a hat tip to Hammond and Skull for pointing us to this letter from John Garth's Tolkien in the Great War. The chief master of King Edward's school, R. Carey Gilson, who was actually the father of Rob Gilson, who was yeah. one of Tolkien's close friends and fellow TCBS members. Gilson said, Would to God that we men past military age could go and do this business instead of you young fellows. Oh, man. Well, it's especially tragic when you consider the fact that Rob Gilson actually yeah. was killed on the first day of the Battle of the Somme. So yeah. uh, Headmaster Gilson actually did lose his son. Oh, that is poignant, man. I want to point out really quickly, I noticed that Faden's wrinkled hands are mentioned yeah. here, aren't they? 
Yeah, they are. It's another sign of his physical age. Yeah. Yeah. We're really getting attention drawn to that. And just a, a side note, I just wanted to throw out there. No, I think you're right. That's a good reminder of that. And even though he's aged, Gandalf saying, look, you don't have to wither. Yeah, you are old. He doesn't say you're young. Right. Yeah. It's not, you're only as old as you feel like, no, dude, you're old. No, you but... are old, but you, you do have strength and you'll feel yeah. that strength more if you grab your sword. Yeah. And so he goes to do exactly that again, taking action, yep. but it's not there. And he knows Grima has put it someplace. So <laughs> he's got some questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he asks for it and instead of getting it, he gets another one. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We have Aemir and Hama. Because Hama's been busy doing something else. That's right. Right. Been exactly. Bringing Aemir. Kind of coming out of the shadows. And it's Aemir who offers the hilt of his sword to Theoden. Yeah. Saying, it was ever at your service. Mm. Mm. Even when you thought that I betrayed you. I That's was right. not betraying you. I was, I was fighting for you. Yeah. Yeah. I was always your loyal servant. Now, Theoden... Seems like he's not all that happy about this. You yeah, know, I don't know. Is this like uh, nobody should you know be open carrying near the king? Is that what this is? I mean, <laughs> I don't understand. It's probably a good rule. Honestly. Uh, yeah, that is generally a good guideline. You know, <laughs> no swords near the king. Yeah. But yeah, this how comes this? He says sternly, "What? Well, where's that from?" But yeah, I think that's I mean, what it's about. I think he just realizes, like, wait, wait, wait. I didn't say set him free and give him his sword. No. You know? Because he might be mad at me for putting him in jail, but right. I did say set him free. Yeah. Right. But, you know, even that sternness gives these men joy, right? I mean, Aemir and Hama, they're, wow, our Lord is, is, is back. He's tall. He's proud. This, is, this warms their hearts to see that, uh, even, yeah. if, even if he is a little bit upset. Yeah. I mean, we see that they looked at him in wonder, but really, they, this, is, this is love. They're happy yeah, that, is. He is, that he's doing better. And, you know, Hama confesses. Trembling, I love. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's like, uh oh, did I screw up? You know, am I gonna, am I going it, to jail now? <laughs> I mean, he says, like, you know, I maybe I have erred. Yeah, you know? he is a marshal of the mark, and you know, I'm just following orders. <laughs> he doesn't right. say that because we know that wouldn't fly. But well, he yeah. asked for his sword, right? Right, and he is a marshal. He's he's a superior officer. He asked yeah. for his sword. I'm going to give him his sword. Yeah. Right, and. And I think this is interesting because he's specifically not following orders. You know, we talked again, that's last right. time and again back in chapter two about how the Rohirrim don't just blindly follow orders. No. They make their own choices. And that's, that's right. That's considered a virtue. And it's very Beowulfian as well. You know, that's something that we talk about as being a, a virtue, you know, there. That... Exactly. But Aemir says, just in case there's any wonder, like, look, the reason I asked for my sword was to lay at your feet. Yeah. This is to renew my pledge to you. That's right. Lord. I'm fresh out of jail, the jail you put me in, and and I'm not here to gripe about that. I'm here to say right. I'm still yours to command. Yeah. Right. And boy, now that now is when that moment comes, right? Here's the sword. Yeah. Here's the sword. And that Take the sword. is where you're going to pick up, man. Oh, such a moment. Such All a right. moment. <laughs> All right. Why did I let you have this one? <laughs> That's okay. This chapter is filled with this dozens is, of moments, this isn't is it? full of moments. I'm, I'm sitting here looking over the passages we've read. I'm like- Man, there's so many things like I wish yeah. we had read, like, oh, why did I not read the, you know, the whole thing about Eowyn when Aragorn looks at her the first time? Or like, yeah. you know, why did we not read the... And it's because we just can't read it all, but this whole chapter is dense yeah. with it. Yeah. We can't do it. We unfortunately cannot do it all. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, folks. I but... know. It would be an audio book and we'd get in trouble. Yeah. All right. Slowly, Theoden stretched forth his hand. As his fingers took the hilt... It seemed to the watchers that firmness and strength returned to his thin arm. Suddenly he lifted the blade 
and swung it shimmering and whistling in the air. Then he gave a great cry. His voice rang clear as he chanted in the tongue of Rohan a call to arms. Arise now, arise, riders of Theoden. Dire deeds awake, dark is it eastward. Let horse be bridled, horn be sounded. Forth, Aolingas! The guards, thinking that they were summoned, sprang up the stair. They looked at their lord in amazement, and then as one man they drew their swords and laid them at his feet. Command us, they said. West to Theoden Hall, cried Amer. It is a joy to us to see you return into your own. Never again shall it be said, Gandalf, that you come only with grief. Take back your sword, Eomer, sister-son, said the king. Go, Hama, and seek my own sword. Grima has it in his keeping. Bring him to me also. Now, Gandalf, you said that you had counsel to give, if I would hear it. What is your counsel? Whew, what a passage. And it's, it's another one of these moments of action, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he stretches forth his hand. This may seem like a small thing, but, well, this really isn't a small thing at all. His people are watching him. Mm-hmm. His people see him. They see strength returning in his arm. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is great. They and see him taking action, and he takes such action. He does. He doesn't just grab the sword, right? No. He lifts it and swings it, shimmering right. and whistling in the air, and cries out. Oh. Yeah. Arise now. Arise, riders of Theoden, and forth air lingus. Oh. Whoa. Such a wonderful bit. Yeah, it is. And the guards were a little surprised, you know? Oh, yeah. Understandably so. They haven't mm-hmm. seen their lord like this in a really long time. They haven't seen him probably outside of the hall in years. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Let alone standing up, swinging a sword. Yeah. Right. But they do what you'd expect for, yeah. for a lord as beloved as Theoden is. They lay their swords at his feet. They're just so happy that he's he's back. Yeah. Theoden's back, man. Command us. I love yeah. that line. And then Aomer uses, well, your old line, Westu Theoden Hal, <laughs> meaning may you be healthy Theoden. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that is another Beowulf reference because that's a greeting that we see in Beowulf when Beowulf greets Hrothgar by saying, Westu Hrothgar Hal. Right. Same meaning, right. May you be yeah. healthy Hrothgar. Spelled a little bit differently, but yeah, yeah, same, true. same phrase. Mm-hmm. Theoden seems utterly touched by this. Oh, and yeah. He tells Aomer, look, just take back his sword. Um, and, and he actually calls him sister son. I think that's, that's a nice reminder of the familial connection there. Not that we're going to forget it, but the fact that he says it in this moment, I think is, is, is quite telling. Yeah. He's not thinking of him as the marshal of the mark. Right. He's thinking know. of him as his nephew. Yeah. Right. But he says like, here, you keep this sword. I want my sword. Yeah. Where is it? Hama, can you bring it to me? Oh, and by the way, can you bring me Grima too? I, I, I've, I've got some things I need to talk to him about. We need to chat with him. That's right. It's time for his performance review. (laughs) It is time for his annual performance review. Grima, I'm afraid, I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the line at the end of your reading. What is your counsel? This is another, you know, what is to be done. This is an echo of that. And it is him asking for guidance, asking for the next steps. It is a continuation of that journey of taking action. Yeah. 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 And it's another reminder that he's ready to not just listen, but to actually take some action and lead his people. Mm -hmm. Yes, he is. Well, that leads us right into our last reading for tonight as we, again, break the chapter up into three bits. And I'm going to read starting right there about what Gandalf's counsel is. All right. 
You have yourself already taken it, answered Gandalf, to put your trust in Eomer rather than in a man of crooked mind, to cast aside regret and fear, to do the deed at hand. Every man that can ride should be sent west at once, as Eomer counseled you. We must first destroy the threat of Saruman while we have time. If we fail, we fall. If we succeed, then we will face the next task. Meanwhile, your people that are left, the women and the children and the old, should fly to the refuges that you have in the mountains. Were they not prepared against just such an evil day as this? Let them take provision, but delay not, nor burden themselves with treasures, great or small. It is their lives that are at stake. This counsel seems good to me now, said Theoden. Let all my folk get ready. But you, my guests, truly you said, Gandalf, that the courtesy of my hall is lessened. You have ridden through the night, and the morning wears away. You have had neither sleep nor food. A guest house shall be made ready. There you shall sleep when you have eaten. Nay, lord, said Aragorn. There is no rest yet for the weary. The men of Rohan must ride forth today, and we will ride with them, axe, sword, and bow. We did not bring them to rest against your wall, lord of the mark, and I promised Eomer that my sword and his should be drawn together. Now indeed there is hope of victory, said Eomer. Hope, yes, said Gandalf, but Isengard is strong, and other perils draw ever nearer. Do not delay, Theoden, when we are gone. Lead your people swiftly to the hold of Dunharrow in the hills. Nay, Gandalf, said the king, you do not know your own skill in healing. It shall not be so. I myself will go to war, to fall in the front of the battle if it must be. Thus shall I sleep better. Then even the defeat of Rohan will be glorious in song, said Aragorn. The armed men that stood near clashed their weapons, crying, The Lord of the Mark will ride! Forth, Eolingus! Oh, chills. I love it, this whole chapter. Man, yeah. So going back to the beginning of your passage, you know, I ended with, you know, Theoden asking, what is your counsel? Gandalf says, you've already taken it. You've already done the first thing. Start by trusting Eomer, not Wormtongue. Stop (laughs) trusting Wormtongue. (laughs) Can we make that more clear? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He needs to like, you know, weave it into a tapestry and just hang that up in front of the throne. (laughs) Circle and a slash through the Wormtongue. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And more importantly, you've set aside fear and you're ready to do what needs to be done. This is a time for action. Yeah. So that's the macro advice. Now mm-hmm. let's get into the specifics. Right, right. Send every man possible west, mm-hmm. which, by the way, was Aemir's advice that he had given previously. Yeah, that's right. We have got to go fight on that front. We have to destroy Saruman. Yeah, we can't go try to fight the bigger threat of Mordor while Saruman's on our doorstep. And it really is one step at a time. If we succeed here, then we move on. But if we fail, it's game over. It's very Germanic. It's game over, man. It's game over. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is very Germanic. You know, yeah, it it's like we, we're we just going to do it one step at a time, as you said. We just, mm-hmm. we need to fight this first step. And you know what? Maybe we'll fail and, you know, we'll kind of die with our boots on, if I can quote Iron Maiden again. <laughs> of course, you can always quote Iron Maiden on this show. But uh, so, yeah. So that's the ones who can fight. Now, right. what about the ones who can't fight? Well, mm-hmm. they should, they should escape. Go to your mountain refuges and- don't take valuables. Just take food. You know, don't waste any time. Right. Move as quickly as you can. I mean, that's what these places were made for. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, Theoden sees the wisdom of this council. He's immediately, you know, acceding to that. But then he, he remembers his role as king, as the lord of this land. You know, you were right, Gandalf. The courtesy of my hall has lessened. So let's feed you and let's give you some rest. Yeah. Not a bad idea. It's a great, like, kind of host guest moment. You know, yeah, it is. We, we just did that that Patreon special on, uh-huh. on that topic and or on the topic of feasts and the right. bond between a host and a guest. And I, I'm reminded mm-hmm. of that a couple of times in this chapter. A little bit. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But Aragorn makes it clear, like, we, we can't wait to ride. We no. have to ride today. And by the way, we're going with you. Yeah. And and in a way, they're already too late, as we'll find out, right? The, the yeah. second battle of the Fords of Eisen is, is going on or is about to start right now. That's true. Yeah. They're going to miss that. But we get this reminder from Aragorn, by the way, we will see it again, about Aragorn and Amir drawing swords together. Oh, mm. yes. That's such a fantastic fellowship moment. Isn't it? I love you know, it. We're seeing this new fellowship forming, right? Between uh-huh. Amir yeah. and, and these heroes. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and is. Amir has hope. He has hope of victory now because Aragorn is going and because he's bringing Anduril. That's right. Now, indeed, there is hope of victory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gandalf agrees, of course, there is hope. By the way, I love that line from Amir because the implication is there might not have been hope of victory before, or at least not very much. That's because a good now, point. indeed, there is hope of victory. That's a very good point. They were still going to do it, but there wasn't much hope of victory before. Right. And now there is. Now there is. And Gandalf, of course, agrees there is hope, but please, let's not forget, Isengard is really, really strong, and we need to get the folks who can't fight to those refuges. So when we ride Theoden, that's where you're headed. Yeah, and Theoden has something to say about that. He's like, look, I'm going too, man. I'm going too. And he says, you don't know your skill in healing. That's such a great line. That's fantastic. It's it, it is it's one of the many fantastic lines in this chapter. There's dozens of them, but that in particular is a good one, right? You know, you yeah. you do not know your own skill in healing, and then yeah, what he's going to do? He makes a statement: "I'm going to go to war to fall in the front of the battle if it must be, and thus shall I sleep better." Oh man, so Germanic. That is so like, Germanic. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we may talk about that being a fantastic line, but not everybody seems to think so. We've got a really brief sidebar here on archaism. Letter number 171 makes for a very interesting read. And while we don't have time to go through the whole thing, there are a few bits that we want to mention here about archaic language in general. But first, I want to give you some context. So in 1954, Hugh Brogan, who would later become a British historian and biographer, had written to Tolkien criticizing the archaic narrative style, especially Mm -hmm. in this chapter, even going so far... And this is bold, as to agree with a critic's description of it as tushery. Now, I confess I had to look this up because Yeah, I don't I, I don't even know what that is. I couldn't imagine it had anything to do with you know an actual tush. I hope uh, not. I really hope not. And it turns out that tushery is writing of poor quality, distinguished especially by the presence of effectively archaic diction. Ouch. Man. Man. Just, wow. That's harsh. That is really harsh, especially when you learn the rest about this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me go on with this story. So Brogan was no stranger to Tolkien. He'd no. actually been in correspondence with him since he was a schoolboy. Actually, five of Tolkien's letters in Carpenter's published volume are letters to Brogan. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he was still young at this time. He was about 18. Oh, man. I'm, just, I'm imagining it as an 18-year-old me writing to my like hero author and that is the boldness of youth, I have to Isn't say. Isn't it? I mean, yeah, really to is. write to your favorite author and tell him that his writing is tushery. Tushery, I agree with tushery, that. Tushery, sir. <laughs> oh, man. Woo. Well, Tolkien did not tell him off. Patient man. Which 
<laughs> it's funny when you see the the brutal like takedowns Tolkien does in some of his oh, letters. Just harsh. Yeah, exactly. But a year later, in 1955, Brogan actually wrote back and he apologized for being impertinent, stupid, or sycophantic. <laughs> or all three of the above. Or all three of the above. Yeah. Now, Tolkien drafted a letter in response. He didn't send it, but he drafted it with a little bit that we're going to read here regarding archaism. That's right. Uh, first, he laments the fact, Tolkien, that is, that they live, quote, in an age when almost all octorial manhandling of English is permitted. Octorial is just a word meaning authorial, you know, something done right. by an author. Uh, and I just wanted to say that because as true as that was in 1955, it's even more true today, <laughs> really. Yeah, quite true. You know what? The things that are done to the English language these days, they're, they're not even manhandling it anymore. They're just No, like, they're not. It's, they're it's, trotting it in the mire like the orcs did to They uh, are, to the Fingolfin standard, yeah. Well, Tolkien goes on to point out that real archaic English is far more terse than modern. And he points out that many of the things that are said in this archaic dialect, so to speak, could not Idiom, be said. Sir. Idiom! <laughs> Dang it! You were going exactly where I was going. <laughs> Uh, he pointed out that many of the things that, that are said could not be said in our slack and often frivolous idiom. See, <laughs> his own particular idiom, sir. Right. He then takes an example from this chapter that Brogan had singled out, and it is this one, which is why we're having a sidebar here. Tolkien says, I know well enough what a modern would say. Not at all, my dear G. You don't know your own skill as a doctor. Things aren't going to be like that. I shall go to the war in person, even if I have to be one of the first casualties. And then what? Theoden would certainly think and probably say, thus shall I sleep better. But people who think like that just do not talk a modern idiom, Tolkien says. And you can almost hear him saying it like that. Yeah. You can have, I shall lie easier in my grave, or I should sleep sounder in my grave like that rather than if I stayed at home, if you like. But there would be an insincerity of thought, a disunion of word yeah. and meaning. For a king who spoke in a modern style would not really think in such terms at all. And any reference to sleeping quietly in the grave would be a deliberate archaism of expression on his part, however worded, far more bogus than the actual archaic English that I have used. Uh, only a philologist would see such an important, vital connection yeah. between the thought and the words used. That's right. It just isn't something that would come to the mind of somebody speaking in modern English. That's right. Yeah. It's very well said on Tolkien's part. And very. I would say Brogan learned his lesson well. Yeah, we'll actually come back to him next week. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, back to the text, Aragorn cheers this all. He says, even the defeat of Rohan will be glorious in song. Hey, don't speak too soon, if man. If it comes to that. <laughs> I mean, that's... How about the victory? It's... But yeah. You know, no, again, it's saying. the Germanic thing, isn't it? Yeah. Even if we lose, it will be glorious. And then they go to ride, and this is the part that we didn't read. But Gandalf points out the obvious here. Somebody needs to lead and guide the people of Rohan. Yeah. Thaden's not ready to make a decision about that yet. No. He says, no. Well, you know, he says, we'll think about it. But uh, yeah. hang on. Wait, somebody's coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Got to deal with this first. That's right. Well, who would guide and govern you in our place? I don't know, but probably not Barlaman. But at least he's got our mailbag. So let's take a look and see what's in there. <laughs> After that, the talk still continues all night long at the Branzing Pony. Yes, it does. Our awesome listener community keeps the conversation going in all of our social media spaces. At our common room on Facebook, you'll find comments, questions, corrections, and more on every episode. 
as well as updates from us throughout the week. Just look for the Prancing Pony podcast on Facebook. And be sure to follow the page and join the group we've recently created. The page, of course, lets us keep you up to date on the latest PPP happenings, like our digital moot. But the group gives you a really great chance to connect and discuss Tolkien with your fellow listeners. And, of course, we also have some really good discussions going on over on Reddit. You can find us there at r slash prancingponypod. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both with the handle at prancingponypod. And if you're enjoying the show, please share us and please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want exclusive content, postscripts, full bonus episodes, live Discord events with Sean and me, and episodes without digital ads, then check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod, where you can support the show by joining the Fellowship of the Podcast. Now, let's see what messages Barliament has brought us. Sean? All right. Brenda P. in Maryland asks, I'm currently in the middle of rereading Lord of the Rings for the fifth time and I stumbled upon something I never noticed before. In The King of the Golden Hall, Grima mocks Lothlorien and Galadriel, and Gandalf then sings a song praising Lorien and Galadriel in an attempt to put Grima in his place. Of course, we read that earlier this episode. Uh-huh. Part of the song is, Galadriel, Galadriel, clear as the water of your well, white as the star in your white hand. This is obviously referring to her mirror and Nenya, I was shocked to notice this as the Elven Ring's locations were kept extremely secret, and it was deemed that it wasn't even safe to mention their bearers within the Fellowship or even at the Council of Elrond, mm. let alone out loud in a hall of men before a very obvious spy of the enemy. <laughs> it would seem on the surface that Gandalf finally abandoned reason for madness. Ah, yeah. <laughs> How shall we read this riddle? Alan, what do you think? Well, I think the clue is in the name Dwimmerdeen. We mentioned earlier in the episode that it means Veil of Phantoms, but what we didn't say at the time was that the name Dwimmerdeen comes from, uh, you guessed it, Old English. I'm shocked. Uh, now, first, the word you've heard us mention a few times before, Dwimmer, which means phantom or apparition. A couple examples of that. We've heard Aomer use the phrase Dwimmercrafty to talk of Saruman. But there's also the Dwimmerberg, or Haunted Mountain, and the Dwimmer Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> is this room actually stretching? This leaves you with this haunting thought to find a way out. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> of course, there's always my way. My way. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Sorry about that digression, but it's brilliant. I love it. We have children. That's we right. Go to so we've got Dwimmer Crafty. We've got Dwimmer Berg. And then there's the Dwimmer-like. That's the Lord of the Nazgul. That's the Witch King, right? It's a word that means work of necromancy or specter, according to Tolkien's index. So going back to the word here, Dwimmerdeen, that's Dwimmer, and then Dean just means veil. So this song, right. which I think Gandalf is reciting, comes from Rohiric traditions. Now, the Rohirrim certainly don't know to what those lines refer, at least not about the White Star, but somehow that legend made it into their song. At least that's how I read it. What, what do you say, Sean? Yeah, uh, I'm going to shock everybody and agree with you. I, I oh, think man. so. I know, I know. I think that's really the cleanest answer, that this is a poem that's been passed down through the centuries. Mm -hmm. It's possible. In fact, I, I might even go so far as to say it's probable, though I'm not basing that on anything, that it was written originally by someone in another language, maybe by somebody who knew something about the mystery of Galadriel's ring. This could have been a, a poem of the elves originally, or right. a poem of the, of the Dunedain that has been translated into Rohiric and passed down okay. over the generations. I can buy that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you said, I mean, the, the name Dwimmerdeen in that makes it very clear that this is yeah. a Rohiric poem of some kind. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously this is all speculation, but I think it's well, sure. very reasonable speculation. Either way, I think the point that we need to take away from all this is that the real meaning of the words of this poem has been forgotten. So mm-hmm. Gandalf knows he doesn't really need to worry about repeating those words here. No. Talking about Galadriel having a star in her hand. I mean, first of all, it's a cool visual and it's it's very beautiful language, but it's very symbolic language too. And I don't think that if you didn't already know that she has a ring in her hand that looks like a star, I don't think you're going to figure it out from that. You're just going to assume that this is some symbolic language. You know? Yeah, that's true. I don't think, yeah, you're right. Without that knowledge. Figuratively having a star in her hand. Yeah. You're not going to put those two things together. Now, then again, if Gandalf has composed these verses on the spot, as heroes do sometimes mm-hmm. in Middle Earth, true. then it is strange that he would include that in his poem. But that's another reason why I kind of have to assume the former, that he's reciting yeah. a poem that's already in existence. Yeah, I agree with that. Because while heroes do compose verse, we saw that, for example, we talked about it with Aragorn and Legolas at, the, at, at Boromir's funeral. Sure, yeah. I'm not convinced that's what's happening here. In that case, those two had time off screen, so to speak, to compose mm-hmm. their verse. Yeah. And here also, I think Gandalf is using an existing Rohiric song to put Grima in his place more clearly, sort of by the authority, so to speak, of their songs, because they are a people of song. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, hey, you idiot, don't you know the song? Yeah, don't you, you know your own you song? Your kid? Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. But I think we have time for one more. So I'm going to go ahead and read this one. Okay. Andreas D wants to know, how many do we think the three hunters could take down if Steel actually started swinging and singing? 105 to three is pretty bad odds. <laughs> So let's give the Fellowship Trio initiative and first strike. Six, 12, 24, more? Sean, what do you think? <laughs> All right. Well, this must be a reference to that uh, little argument that Amer and his Aered had back in Chapter 2 with Aragorn, yeah. Legolas, and Gimli, the one that almost escalated to violence. Almost, right. So let's see. I mean, Boromir managed to kill at least 20 orcs a mm-hmm. few days before that before right. he died. And those orcs were trying to kill him. They were not trying to capture him. Right. I remember we talked about, you know, if they were trying to capture him, he probably kills more because they're not going to. Right. Like they're... Hurin killing the 70. Right. Before exactly. he finally gets captured. Right. Right. So I think the first question to ask is whether Amer and his men would have tried to kill the trespassers or capture them. Because mm. if they tried to capture them, they probably would lose more men. True. True. The second question, I think, is whether the Rohirrim fight better than the orcs. Uh, which I assume yeah. they probably do because I think they're probably better trained and they're certainly better equipped than all except for like the most elite Urukai, right? Sure, yeah. And then a third question to consider is whether fighting from horseback gives them more of an advantage. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm not a skilled tactician by any means, but I'm pretty spears sure. Spears on horseback versus yeah. swords on foot. I'm going to take those spears every time. I'm pretty sure that's kind of the point of cavalry as opposed to infantry. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, based on all that, I guess I'm assuming if the three hunters have initiative and first strike, as Andreas says, mm-hmm. maybe they kill one each before the melee really starts. Okay. Fair. Then let's assume that Rohirrim on horses fight better than orcs on foot. And then I think each one of the three hunters might take down a third of the 20 orcs that Boromir took down. So let's just say like six or seven each, including okay. the initiative advantage. Now, if the Rohirrim are trying to capture them, maybe they kill 10 each. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think no. had that escalated to blows, I think the Rohirrim would try to kill them. Oh, yeah. So I give them 20 kills tops before they're taken down. Mm -hmm. And now I'm very sad. I am too. (laughs) You're also far more generous than I am. Andreas is talking about that showdown from Chapter 2, like you said. But 
admittedly, we almost had another situation like this last episode with Aragorn nearly starting a fight over handing over his sword. Now, in that situation, I like their odds a bit better. They have Gandalf 2.0, though, of course, Gandalf would have employed some powerful Magia just to stop the fight altogether and, I don't know, glue Hama's arm back on or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but still, with only the two guards at the door, that's an interesting fight I frankly hope never happens. But out on the plains, I I'm sorry, I can't give them initiative. Remember the quote from the, the text, a thicket of spears were pointed towards the strangers and some of the horsemen had bows in hand and their arrows were already fitted to the string. It's a bad situation. <laughs> and here's the other trick. Only Amir was dismounted. The yeah. rest were on horseback and he had his sword drawn. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'm going to say Legolas takes down Amir before the rest of the riders kill the three of them in mere seconds. <laughs> it is over before it starts. <laughs> I mean... How do you, I a, did, you know, maybe I did you say take 20 tops. Horse. I did say 20 tops. You so. did. That's tops. I'm thinking one and that's really only one arrow. So unless, well, Legolas is a pretty accurate shot. So he probably catches AMR in the throat and he's dead. But, maybe he does the thing he did in the movie with, with the, the, oh, the front and he shoots three, three at once. once. Yeah. Okay. Then he takes down three. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it, man. There's no way that, that even with their sword and ax drawn, that Aragorn and Gimli are going to take down any of these Rohirrim on horseback when they all have the reach advantage and there are mounted archers too. So, no. all right, well, let's average out our answers and say 10. It's a bloodbath one. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast on the rare occasions where we disagree. Please be sure to join us again next week when fourth Aerlingus. Oh yeah, it's going to be a good one. Not like yeah. this one wasn't no. or the one before it. Or the one after it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, as always, we want to take a moment to thank some truly important people, mm -hmm. our patrons at the Cure Dance Contribution Tier. We're going to share this list now, thankfully, because yeah. I just, I don't have the breath to get through it all anymore. <laughs> and I'm going to start with Demay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamson in Minnesota, Chad in Texas, Lance in New Jersey, Paul in Colorado, Jerry in Texas, Bruce in California, Mario in Utah, Seth in Texas, and Ella in California. And there's also Joseph in Texas, Kathy from North Carolina, Lori from Washington, Josh in Oklahoma, Carlos in California, Brian from the UK, Cameron in Nevada, Ned from Connecticut, Thad from Georgia, Jerry from Washington, and Nick from Wisconsin. Thank you all so much for your support. And we also want to thank the team that helps make the show better. That includes our research assistants, as well as our barlaman Becca Davis, producer Jordan Rennells, social media manager Casey Hilsey, event and Patreon community coordinator Katie McKenna, and website guru Phil Dean. This show would not be what it is without our supporters and our teammates. So really, truly, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you all. Indeed. Now, folks, be sure you don't miss any episodes of the Prancing Pony podcast. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your thoughts, comments, and well, most of all, a sword hilt so we can remember our old strength, to <laughs> Barlamin at theprancingponypodcast.com. Barlamin is a lot more reliable these days, but we do get a lot of mail, so we promise we'll get to you as soon as we can. And, hey, your question or comment might be featured on a future episode. As always, this has been far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. <laughs>